0: Welcome to this webinar series, Physical Activity Researcher podcast and International Society for Physical Activity and Health, ISPA, have started a race. We have edited their webinars to audio-only podcast versions, so you can listen to them also on the go. Our mission is to advance science and share scientific knowledge, so if your organization as relevant webinars or lectures, and would like to get more audience
1: to them, please let us know. But without further ado, let's jump to the webinar.
2: Welcome back. Uh, I'm sorry our breaks uh, were a little, little short, or non-existent in the fir- in the case of the first session. Um, we have now the perhaps most exciting part of the event coming, but uh, before the, the, this is the roundtable discussion. Uh, I would like to make a very brief announcement and very, very briefly share my slides, make this announcement. Uh, it will take only 30 seconds. I would like to remind you uh, to follow us on Twitter, propass but most importantly, we're advertising a non-remunerated scientific events lead at ProPass for uh, uh, someone to help us with putting uh, up uh, events like this. Uh, uh, and uh, please get in touch uh, with us via Twitter or in the generic ProPass address, if you know any or, or if you're interested. And without, uh, with no further ado, I would like to um, uh, have the pleasure to introduce the moderator for the roundtable discussion, Professor Marie uh, Murphy. Uh, Marie is currently an honorary professor at uh, the University of Edinburgh and also a professor at the University of Ulster in Ireland and uh, Marie had a major role in the development of the UK uh, physical activity recommendations. She led the adults physical activity. So thank you Marie for joining us today. Uh, I know three hours is a big ask (laughs) as a favour. It's a great pleasure to have you. The floor is yours.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Manos, for the introduction, and it is really lovely to be here. I was delighted to be asked to chair this panel discussion Um, as a physical activity researcher who started my career as an exercise physiologist. I've always been a little bit frustrated that both intermittent and short bouts of physical activity, and to a lesser extent, the intensity of that activity, which we know are the stimulus for so many of the health benefits that we derive from activity, are either ignored or not adequately captured by questionnaire methods, Um, and that this data derived um, from questionnaires then has such a a big influence on our approach to guidelines. there for the messages we give to the public. So I've been fascinated by the talks and I'm delighted that we now have an opportunity to pose questions to the speakers. Um, so thank you to all of the speakers, first of all, on behalf of the people who were listening in, uh, I, I thank you. They were fascinating insights um, and they really raised questions about the potential um, and the pros and cons, I suppose, of device-based physical activity, uh, how that should influence our future um, guidelines. Uh, And I I think it has the potential to radically change the evidence base, but we've heard reasons why that might be slow to come. And and also from Karen, the challenges in that, in terms of of, of measuring not not just physical activity, but also domains and other other parameters. So we have Fiona, Jacob, Matthew, Joe, Peter, Anne-Marie, Manos, and Karen back with us. And um, we're gonna ask you to use the question and answer function, um, or the panel to ask your questions. Um, And I really what we're trying to think about is this a good time to move from questionnaire based physical activity and sedentary behavior guidelines to accelerometry ones? Or is there scope for both as I think we've heard and if we are going to make the move what's the best way to ensure a smooth transition so I'm kicking off there and and, um, I suppose asking anyone to type questions and maybe tell me who you are and who your question is addressed at and then I'll allow any other panel members who want to come in to join into the debate okay maybe we'll start with the first one that is sitting here from Kasia Um, a a question to uh, Jasper you're already announced uh, Um, answering it, but perhaps we'll give you the mic to answer it. Um, How did you select your sample in your study? So just picking up on Jasper's and then perhaps that will give other people a time to type more general questions addressed at the whole panel. So Jasper, over to you. How did you select your balanced sample of 7,500 invited participants? So I think this is speaking to some of the bias issues.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, thank you for the the question, Kaya. the, we, we tried to do our best to get a device-based sample that was very, very similar to the population sample that we started with. So in our survey, we asked people, can we contact you again? Would you be willing to participate in a device-based study? when a lot of people say yes to this, many more than we had expected. So that was a positive thing. But there was a slight bias in that group almost 40,000 people that said yes to being contacted again. So what we then did was to make sure that we had, yeah, a similar number of men and women and differences in education level and things like that in the 7,500 that we invited for the study. So that's how we try to balance it so that the people invited for the accelerometer study, they were similar to our population-based sample.
0: Okay, thank you, Jasper. I'm seeing a question from uh, Rosemary, uh, I think in in, in this, um, trying to catch up with it. So a general question from Rosemary. Do the speakers think that by the time of the next guidelines, and we heard mention there of 2027 for the start of the development of WHO guidelines, do you think by then we uh, will or even indeed should have new evidence on uh, these aspects of behavior? And if so, how do we get there? So this is things like duration, the pattern, the timing. I'm gonna start by throwing that over to Peter because he has had the best um, indication of how the guidelines were developed. So Peter, can I start with you?
3: Yeah, I guess that's a pretty complex question. I think uh, as we've heard throughout the morning or the evening here, I think the device-based measures will really kind of help pinpoint issues of duration, intensity, associations with health outcomes. Now, the degree to which that will impact the messages around the guidelines uh, is is still an open question, and we had a, a question about that in the chat. Because some people really follow their devices, you know, they may be wearing a Fitbit or a watch or something. Others are still going to revert back to kind of their impression of what they're doing in in a day, and we all know that that's very biased. And um, you know, they may not understand exactly how much time they spend sitting, for example. So it's going to be very complex, I think, to take the device-based measures and try to translate that into something that the general public could follow. You know, like Manos gave an example earlier uh, this morning about, um, you know, 60 minutes of vigorous activity. Someone's going to the gym and they're saying they're doing 60 minutes, but in fact, they may only do 20 minutes of activity during that time. So if you tell someone they only need to do 20 minutes well, they just go to the gym for 20 minutes now and, and only do five minutes of activity? You know, so it's going to get pretty complex pretty quick, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if I could throw that across then to Karen, because Karen, I, I, I heard a little bit of skepticism or a little bit of, of concern over trying to um, move quickly to um, accelerometry based uh, uh, guidelines or evidence for guidelines, uh, and maybe a a worry that that, that if we did that, we we would miss some some valuable stuff. So maybe over to you to to see whether you think that by 2027, we'll be able to do
4: this. Thanks, Marie. Uh, So I think by 2027, we will certainly have some really good evidence that's derived from devices. So for the 2020 guidelines, we had very little. I think the ulf paper had just come out. We looked at it, we realized it was valuable, but we had so much evidence from self-report. We can't couldn't do much with this one study from all or you know the handful of studies. And the work that ProPath and others are doing will certainly ensure that we have a lot more evidence to look at. And we certainly should look at that evidence. We shouldn't definitely shouldn't ignore it. It's providing really useful insights, it's providing Different information to what we've previously had. I think the challenge, the main challenge we're going to have is how we grapple with these two different stories. So, if self report tells us one thing and devices look to be telling us something quite different, what do we do with that information? So, do we put more weight on the self report because there's a higher volume? Do we put more weight on the devices because we think that they're more reliable? Uh, So I think it's going to be a very interesting time during the next guidelines. And it's certainly going to be more complicated than it was last time around. And then there's this issue with how we then communicate that. And I think that that's a really good point just raised by Peter about if people say they're doing an hour and they're only doing 30 minutes, if we tell them to do 30 minutes, are they going to do 15? So how we, yeah, how we then use the guidelines to create, messages for the public about how active they should be, I think is then a second challenge that, that we really need to get our heads around in the next two years if we're going to do a decent job of the guidelines. Which, will, yeah, which, The WHO will review the evidence in 2027, and if it's deemed that there's sufi- a sufficient new body of evidence to inform revised guidelines, then the process will start uh, for 2030 guidelines. Okay, th-
0: thank you, Karen, and, and and you've almost picked up and started to answer Sonia's question, which came in during that, which was about the messaging, because of course the more complex this becomes, then the more difficult it is to message, and we, I'm not even sure that we have. You know, correctly messaged the, the existing guidelines, and and Sonia points to the fact that that that's something that you know we're still hearing the remnants of five by thirty, and indeed earlier guidelines. So before that, okay, uh, Manos wants to come in, and then Jacob, I presume, on
2: that on that last question. Manos, uh, thank you. I think uh, I totally agree with uh, everything that both Peter and Karen said. I I will be very surprised if. Uh, we move to device-based guidelines only. I think the transition will be smooth, slow, and uh, will perhaps take two or three cycles of the guidelines, if ever, for the guidelines to be purely device-based. So I think, in my opinion, the the first candidate of what component of the guidelines to uh, be based on uh, the accelerometry data is stepping guidelines. Uh, we we already have seen a lot of activity on that front, particularly with the UK Biobank. Propass uh, stepping is uh, of course uh, the, the thigh accelerometers can uh, measure uh, stepping uh, very well. So I think uh, it's going to be modular in a way. So we will see recommendations and sub-recommendations perhaps based on device-based evidence, perhaps the headline guidelines, I'll be very surprised. It will be very hard and very challenging to to simply scrap them and come up with uh, different amounts all of a sudden. Uh, so, I think uh, it will be a gradual process. Overall, so it will be a gradual process, and we will see components of the guidelines uh, based on accelerometry data rather than the whole guideline kind of dismissing questionnaire evidence and saying that from this point on, we only consider uh, device based evidence. And this cannot happen because some of the most uh, of the l- longest term cohorts will still be questionnaire based cohorts. We cannot dismiss one type of evidence in favor of the other. Thank you. Thanks, Manos.
0: It reminds me for anyone who has lived through a currency change in your country where you moved from, say, sterling to euro or one currency to another, having a a, a cliff edge cut off point causes lots of confusion because people suddenly have to redo things in terms of currency. So it suddenly reminded me of that. Okay, Jacob, and then on to Peter.
2: Yes, uh, thank you. I I, I really echo uh, Manas' uh, comments here that, that that there will be a gradual process but, I, process, but I think we will never go away from having to use self-reported information because it captures uh, things like context. So so resistance uh, training, we we are c- quite a long way from catch, capturing that with uh, devices, and and I I also think it's important to consider that. Um, so there's a there's a lack of global representation in the guidelines right now, but if we move to devices, we will really be focusing in on a very specific uh, section of 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 the world, and I think we should be careful <laughs> in going in that direction.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Okay, thank you. Yeah, we we're going to miss domains and contexts quite 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 a lot um, unless we can find a way of capturing them. Peter.
3: Yeah, this is just in response to the comment by Manos. Um, and, you know, he mentioned uh, an evidence base perhaps that comes from accelerometry uh, and even thigh, thigh-worn accelerometry for stepping and um, how that would inform an evidence base, which is actually very, very good. But then when you try to translate that to the public who are using a, a watch or on their cell phone, you know, it can also step count steps and all this, or a pedometer, which is also very different. All of these types of devices give you different answers in terms of the number of steps per day and how well does that compare to the very well-described thigh-worn accelerometry? You know, uh, Katrine Tudor-Lock has done a lot of work in this area and has shown you know, that the sensitivity to steps in a pedometer is very different than an accelerometer and uh, while well, depending on the device itself. So if we go out and we say you need to do 8,500 steps per day based on the data, but then that doesn't even, you know, it doesn't correlate with any of the devices out there. Um, You know, how how are we going to overcome that? Um, I guess we're going to need a crosswalk among the devices, but it's just changing every day, right? We have new devices on the market every day. How do we keep ahead of that curve? I think that's going to be an issue.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, Peter. Um, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to just give a brief comment on the, the the going back to the pattern of activity. I think this is typically one of the things we can study really well with using accelerometry data. Um, very difficult with questionnaire data. So I actually hope that we can at least say something if there uh, if we need to spread our activity over over the week or not, or if it all in one day is also okay. Um, I think the challenge there is to keep it a bit simple, because I also uh, experience working with data scientists, of course, they can come up with these very um, difficult ways in looking at patterns, and it's it's great to, to relate it to health outcomes, but it's impossible to translate it into something uh, useful. But I think the simple way of just looking at how we spread activity over the week um, could be very useful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, that resonates with me because, in terms of my own background, it, it was the fractionalization of exercises where I first became interested in this. And I think we, we it, it it is often lost um, in in the kind of questionnaires that we've used to date. Okay, um, Jasper and then Karen.
1: Thank you. It's it's a great debate to see, and I see there are more and more questions coming in on the Q and A as well. So that's really good to uh, to see. Um, and what I wanted to pick up on is is sort of turning it upside down and saying, okay, well, we know there are a lot of issues with measurements, with devices, all those things. I'm also quite confident in that a lot of that will get solved along the way. Um, Total harmonization, probably never going to happen, but we'll, we'll learn a lot along the way. We'll get better and better at it. But that still, to me, does not answer or solve the issue of, OK, but what is it that we're actually going to communicate, first of all, to our health professionals in terms of guidelines and potentially to the public in terms of guidelines? And if we as measurement people find it difficult to figure out what to do with measurements, perhaps the way forward is flipping it upside down and say, OK, if we involve Communication specialists and say, okay, well, what type of messaging would be useful for health professionals that would, might help us direct our research in terms of, well, what is then the type of device-based evidence or measures that are useful because they can be used in messaging? So, yeah, different perspective perhaps to help us narrow down and focus where to, to uh, use our attention the next couple of years.
0: Yeah. So, so some information maybe more useful for the messaging than other information. That might be where we want to focus. Okay. Um, I, I'm keen to move on. Karen, something very brief, and then I'm going to move on to one of the, the more recent questions that have come in. Uh, it's fine, with me. move on. Okay, okay. Um, I, I'm I'm going to jump on one here that I, I see in from JL, and again, it, it kind of resonates with me. Should we be thinking about other, um, other device-based tools, not just accelerometers? Should we be consider other sensors for heart rate or other vital signals? Any panel member want to
2: jump in on that one? Manus? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dale. This is a great question. What, what we have seen in the last, happening in the last 10, 15 years is, so accelerometers have been used in research for some 30 years in physical activity research, 25 years perhaps in epidemiology. And uh, at the, circa 2010, uh, 11, we saw uh, commercial uh, trackers, Fitbits and uh, consumer devices, that say, with accelerometers being released. And what happened during this time in this, this last 10 to 12 years is that in terms of the tech, technical specs, I mean, the consumer devices are miles and miles and miles ahead of uh, the research grade devices, the the accelerometers. They have more sensors, they incorporate more sensors all the time. They can measure all sorts of things, uh, type, intensity, uh, lots of different things, uh, uh, well beyond what uh, we can measure with research devices. So I believe that the reason for that is that the manufacturers of research grade accelerometers are too small and perhaps they don't have the capacity to innovate and embark on larger projects and add sensors. But I think it's a matter of time. I think it's a matter of time that eventually heart rate sensors will be incorporated, gyroscopes, altimeters to be able to measure uphill walking and stair climbing. And in my opinion, although it will somehow add some complexity in the evidence synthesis process, to me, this is a really exciting development because it will keep giving us evidence to be able to generate, uh, to understand the health attributes of different aspects of the physical activity pattern with a view to providing more options to the general public about how to meet guidelines and how to be physically active and how to gain from being, doing physical activity, for example, the example study I mentioned in my opening presentation about UK Biobank analysis showing that two uh, two bouts lasting up to two minutes each of vigorous intensity physical activity per day associated with 35% reduction in CVD mortality risk. Why would you not want to target short bouts of vigorous intensity physical activity? they provide a comparable kind of effect size with meeting the 150 to 300 minutes of self reported physical activity so i think it is a matter of time and it will be an exciting development to add some more sensors
0: yeah yeah and and, and building on that it's certainly an easier way sometimes to to persuade people to be physically active in the, in those really really short um, uh, bouts and we also had a lovely uh, response there to that question from one of our our, our delegates, saying that it'll also allow us to uh, look at light exposure, and 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 we know we know that the effect of that. We we've done we've done some some work um, on on myopia in children, and that is related uh, not just to physical activity but to light exposure. And and these new sensors will allow us to get a lot more data. Although the complexity is really mind bending. <music>